Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Bottom Line podcast from Liverpool Echo, the podcast that takes a look at the game behind the game and seeks... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline to make sense of everything off the pitch at Anfield. It's been a while since we were last on, but there is plenty for us to digest after a remarkable summer of transfer business. The summer where Saudi Arabia made their mark on the global stage with, the trans- with their transfer activity, including a late swoop for Liverpool's talismanic Mohamed Salah, and where Chelsea owners Todd Burley and Clear Lake Capital got everyone talking about amortisation. Joining me today is a friend of the show, sports lawyer and author of books including Dundeal and most recently Building the Invisible, Daniel G. Daniel's extensive experience and insight when it comes to player transfers and takeovers makes him the perfect person to kick us off once more after our brief hiatus. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on as usual, Dave. And um, yeah, great to chat. Hopefully we can uh, yeah, dive into some interesting topics and I'm sure you won't do a Paxman on me and ask me anything too uh yeah, too difficult, please. <laughs> no, 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 nothing, uh, no curveballs here. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it has been a been a remarkable um, summer of transfer activity. It's hard to. I mean, I know you you you've been involved in plenty of, of transfers um, down the years through through obviously your your role at Sheridan's as a sports lawyer. Um, it's hard to remember a time when it's been so much activity, so fervent, and uh, at such high prices and high volume as, as this summer. It's been quite extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's, there's, I feel it always comes in um, different cycles, doesn't it, really? It feels like this was almost the uh, the window of the defensive midfielder and uh, the, the window that, um, that sort of Saudi, um, um, some, something destabilised the market. But I just wonder whether actually, in a way, um, the, the law of the, the Saudi league actually, in some ways, really helped rebalance the market for for some clubs and we can maybe talk about that in due course but i think the same thing is on chelsea stuff i think the the amortization and the longer contracts become really interesting and the opposite's also true with salah which i think we can dig into true which is too which is you know liverpool are a year off from re-signing salah to a a new three-year deal and then who would have thought within one year um the money on offer for effectively or a 31 year old would be so high um and that obviously goes towards a number of different metrics than the ones we're we're used to seeing in the the traditional football market i, I do want to touch on mohammed Salah um a little bit later but to address a couple of the earlier points that this summer window i mean we've seen so much money spent um and, and you say there it's for some clubs it's been um maybe a, a nuisance that a 
a mischief to have uh, have their, their pockets picked so late in the window. Um, but for others, I suppose it has been a welcome um, boost in terms of would, would Liverpool have been able to generate what they did for Fabinho and, and, and Jordan Henderson at, at that kind of for those profile players at that, their ages and at their respective times in their careers were, were it not for Saudi this year. So I suppose it's a it's one of those it's it's a transfer window whereby the Saudis have aided some clubs and and, and kind of um, less so for others. I think that's right. For, for everyone that says it's destabilising, others will say the exact opposite. Um, I think there's obviously a, a lot of players at a number of clubs that um, maybe, uh, and this isn't talking about anyone in particular, might have been either at their peak or past their peak, might not have been as value for money as they were at particular times. And, you know, this is the funny thing about the the football industry. I remember Rafa Benitez a long time ago, obviously, when he was still a Liverpool manager, saying that football is a lie. And I think one of the things he sort of meant with that was, you know, loyalty is the most subjective thing in the world. You only look a couple of weeks ago to, you know, the part of Jordan Henderson's interview at the beginning where he talks about the fact that he comes back from pre-season thinking, you know, as Liverpool captain, he's going to be playing an integral part in the uh, in the team. And, you know, Klopp has quite a, an honest conversation and says, you're, you're probably not. So, you know, um, for everyone that talks about player loyalty at the time, when players maybe have a stronger negotiating and bargaining position. The opposite could also be said of in terms of club loyalty, really, which is, you know, when players maybe somewhat passed it or not having a good time and not being able to get back in the team. That sort of um, loyalty on both sides doesn't necessarily apply. And, and, and I think that's the case, you know, Klopp came out and said, and far be it from me to um, play devil's advocate to Jurgen Klopp, but Klopp saying... Um, you know, it's difficult because there's been destabilizing destabilization in the market with, you know, Henderson and Fabinho going. But I still think that a lot of the time clubs do have a significant amount of power that if the clubs really didn't want to let those players go, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have gone um, in truth. And as you can see, that's obviously happened now. Who knows what's gone behind the scenes with Salah? But that's exactly what's happened with Salah. Salah in this time at this particular place was seen as indispensable to Liverpool, which meant that he didn't leave. Now, there were players across the globe that were seen as more dispensable um, in truth. And that has obviously helped in terms of transfer fees recouped for particular players, um, wages saved um, for particular players too. And that um, enables um, you know clubs to be able to then go and reinvest in effectively younger models. What we saw in the Saudi instance were the, uh, a lot of those teams buying um, established, mature players that can add instant uh, recognition for the league. And that obviously will then come around in terms of broadcasting revenues and everything else that comes with it and potential commercial deals. Um, what ha- doesn't seem to have happened in this window from the Saudi perspective is going after young up and coming, generally young up and coming next world class set of players. And that's obviously still the the, the the staple type of transfer fee that Premier League clubs have uh, have gone after for those types of players. You've been listening to the bottom line from the Liverpool Echoes Blood Red Channel. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Because there's, there's, there's been so much um, so much noise around the Saudi league. People have been questioning. Obviously, the, the money on offer has been significant to players. Um, but this is all the, the classic case, I suppose, of, of spending ahead of revenue, isn't it, for for the Saudi league. I mean, I know there's a, a, a plan in, I mean, it was earlier on this in the summer, wasn't it, where the, the four biggest teams were, were acquired by the Saudi PIF, the, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi. Um, and then that turned into this kind of, uh, I don't want to say aggressive, it's, it's pretty such a wrong tone, but um, this this sustained period of heavy investment into into player acquisition. But obviously that's to, to give it a base point, I suppose, for further growth. Um that there is there is something to, to suggest there that they are this may be more of a a, a, a league which is going, to, is going to stick around and actually challenge rather than than we've seen in the past with the Chinese pro league etc um this seems to be one which is has obviously the, the wealth behind it in terms of the, the the PIF but also they maybe have learned from from previous mistakes uh, that were were seen with 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 maybe China and India in their attempts to do this, and also the MLS in, in previously, although they seem to have um, learned from their own mistakes uh, moving forward now. But and um, would you think this is you know this this is something which has uh, an element of sustainability around it? Well, sustainability I think is the the key bit because ironically, nothing in football has been sustainable over. Um, a significant portion of time in truth. I mean, you go back years and years before FFP, even after FFP, before the new sustainability rules and after. And, you know, throughout the ages, um, football clubs have been very good at losing a large amount of money on an annual basis. Um, And there was only really a a small period of time when the FFP regs included um, particular regulations which uh, prohibited spending more on wages than the previous years, but they were done away with um, a few years ago too. So I would just probably provide the context, which is, you know, you go back to certain eras, even inside the Premier League, where, you know, Abramovich comes in and blows out, blows everyone out the water with, you know, their transfer and their transfer policy over a particular period of time. And again, there was nothing sustainable about that whatsoever. The only sustaining feature was that you had a very rich individual willing to bankroll the team for on-field success, which they absolutely achieved by way of um, success and um, however you want to deem those parameters, obviously, as things evolved on. Um, But, you know, I think ultimately, like anything, football is no, like it sounds trite to say, isn't like any other business. You are judged um, uh, by fans slash consumers, um, not by your bottom line, but by your bottom line in terms of glory, in terms of qualification, promotion, relegation, trophies, and everything else that comes with it. So in terms of sustainability, I just think it's sometimes the measure that is different now for for the Saudi league and for other leagues in truth that are looking to invest large amounts um, in their league to grow the you know, grow the game, to grow the business, to grow the spotlight. It's a much wider play. You know, you only have to look at um, what uh, the Middle Eastern investment is going to be in terms of live golf, um, in terms of tennis, in terms of paddle, in terms of football, obviously. Um, Anyone thinking this is as narrow as just a football play, um, you know, is probably going to be looking silly, I think, in the years ahead. This is 
a divestment play by one of the biggest sovereign wealth funds in the world to be able to invest sensibly um, across a huge number of um, diverse revenue streams that will hopefully, in I guess, in the medium to very longer term, produce returns. But obviously, that isn't in the short term what they um, and others um, need. I, I did see an article um, the other day suggesting that there were some talks um, which took place during the ECA um, General Assembly in, in Berlin around how obviously with the Saudi League's emergence, it, it creates, for those clubs who've, who've sold on to Saudi, Liverpool included, I mean, I think it, all told it was something like 52 million for for, for Henderson and, and, and Fabinho using reported figures. Um, I, I suppose given the fact that the 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 SPL uh, don't aren't bound by the 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 kind of regulations around UEFA and and, and financial fair play etc. Um, also, when it comes to kind of overdue payables and, and things like that to, to football clubs, I suppose there is a conversation to be had around. Um, there's an element of, of of risk, is there, in terms of having you know piling so much stock, I suppose, into selling um, players to Saudi because you know not not to say, not to say that the Saudi Arabian public investment fund isn't good for the money but it, it's um not all of the clubs in that league are owned by the PAF I suppose that there is an element of clubs will want some some uniform um, regulation uh, now now we are truly entering for the first time it feels like a global game potentially in terms of um, domestic leagues because obviously Europe has dominated for so long um maybe you know do you think that's that's something which clubs may look towards well, I think more generally that FIFA does have an overarching framework for disputes between um, clubs if there are debts or otherwise payable, regardless of the league or otherwise that you're in. And then you can enforce those um, claims and then FIFA can take sporting sanctions against particular clubs or players or associations as, as necessary. So, um, yeah, granted, there isn't the type of sustainability regulations on a global basis, um, but FIFA is there to be able to deal with um you know, international disputes that occur between their stakeholders. So, you know, granted, there are always going to be reports about particular countries or otherwise not being good payers or being good payers or, or, or as it is. I think there's plenty, there's a, there's a pretty robust framework in place to ensure that compliance. And if it doesn't, like any club or in any country that, you know, there'd likely to be pretty strong sanctions imposed as a result. You've been listening to The Bottom Line from the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red channel. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah, it's, um, like I said, it's, it is uncharted territory, I, I, I suppose, because um, it just feel like, like you mentioned before, it's a, it's a very strong play, and, and the, the, the ambition for the Saudi League, um, as they've declared, is to become one of the top 10 leagues in the world. Do you imagine they'll probably climb up that list fairly quickly if, um, if things go to plan? But um, circling back round to, to Mohamed Salah, that was something which came late in the window, I'm sure um, in in your your line of work down the years, you've probably had a few busy um, end of transfer windows, uh, aiding deals, uh, etc., and getting them over the line for, for clubs. And when something happens so late in the window like that, 
um, as, as it did with Salah. Obviously, there was a bid rejected. How do these things usually play out so late in the window? And why do clubs maybe um, keep their powder dry until the very last? Uh, and why, you know, because we saw it with with Liverpool went in for Graven and Birch on the on the very kind of last knock-ins of the transfer window. Um, uh, Aliti had come in for Salah, etc. And there's always this flurry of activity. I mean, why why do you do you feel that is, or why why is that? Well, it, it, it's simply because positions change regularly. <laughs> um, the position of the player, the agent, the buying club, and the, the selling club, um, and and that's because everything is always so dynamic. You know, managers change regularly. Decisions on players um, as to whether they are, um, you know, an an important part of the squad or otherwise change. Valuations change. Um, you know, it might well be that the you know squad size elements do. It can do with as you have you. I know you reported quite a lot about the homegrown rule in particular places that would be for club trained or association trained. Um, but ultimately, then what can happen is, uh, you know, the availability of other players change as well. So someone that isn't available then becomes available, and then uh, that player will uh, that club will then try and sign that player, and then that leads to knock on effect or otherwise. But you. The problem is, is that it's extremely difficult to second guess anything because, um, you know, some would say, well, you know, why did they leave the Salah bid so late? Was it actually um, anything, something not to do with, um, you know, actually being able to get the player at that time? Does it, you know, look good that the, a particular league is looking to get some of the best players in the world? And will it actually mean that he or someone else will move in January um, or at a later time or not at all in truth. The other thing that I think is always interesting is, you know, um, I remember I think Carragher was speaking with Neville on one of the uh, one of the Sky shows and everyone was sort of speculating about what amount would actually mean um, uh, a player or Salah would, would even move, you know, and the later it comes in the window, the harder it is obviously to be able to find a replacement with good reason. But at some point, then the number becomes a really significant number. So what what is that number? And we're only talking, as I said, a year ago of everybody celebrating that, you know, Salah had signed on the on the dotted line um, and was obviously going to try and commit himself for a significant period of time. The opposite, which I find fascinating, is also true with a player like Mane. You know, he moves uh, with a year left on his deal to, to, to Munich. Um, and it obviously doesn't work out well. And then he's obviously moved to the Saudi league as a result. Um, but, you know, he's still, again, I think 31 as well, uh, in, in, out of thought, pretty much prime career of his career too. Um, uh, and wanting to move for what also might be in truth, um, religious, cultural lifestyle reasons, as well as obviously sporting reasons. So sometimes those, those player reasons as, Henderson has has or hasn't said relates to um, growth of the game, relates to you know securing family future, but also there are you know other reasons why you might want to go to a particular country and live a particular type of lifestyle too. In truth, I mean the the Saudi um, the summer of Saudi, I suppose it's been coined. The has has been one dominant aspect of it, but um, uh, arguably uh, the, the big one of the biggest stories has been. Chelsea's approach to the market, uh, it's, I think before, you know, the idea of amortisation um, is something that probably football fans weren't 
expected to be bombarded with on such a regular basis during the summer. But uh, obviously, Chelsea's approach of um, six, seven, eight, nine-year contracts has its merits from a financial point of view, um, or it did until until that particular um, route has been closed down by by UEFA moving forward. But the I mean, Liverpool got burnt a couple of times in the, in the market by by Chelsea quite publicly over the Romeo Lavia and Moises Caicedo deals. Uh, but the, obviously, Chelsea continue, you know, continue to spend after that. Again, it, it's I suppose it's it's another element of, of spending ahead of revenue. I mean, the idea being that this, they're trying to build a team for the future to dominate, to to bring in the prize money, which they can leverage into and, and future revenues, uh, greater uh, revenues around the business. So, I mean, how do you assess assess this this window for Chelsea? I mean, it's been quite something really, and, and spend on on, a, on of the likes we've we've never really seen before. You've been listening to The Bottom Line from the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red channel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think I think there's a number of things, um, you know, uh, when the transfer window closes on a yearly basis, there's usually, apart from the sort of COVID blip, um, there's usually increases in spending because of inflation and otherwise and broadcasting deals that we've spoken about previously and that comfort that, um, at least in the short term, there's going to be significant monies that, um, you know, clubs are going to earn from those distributions. I, I think the interesting trends really are is that, um, again, on the amortization point, you know, signing up players to longer term deals, UEFA then cut off that particular point to maximise that to a five year period that the amortization can occur um, simply because of that, that sort of Chelsea tactic. But, you know, th- there's a there's a query about I read recently that, you know, maybe Chelsea have actually been quite clever in um, providing longer term deals to a lot of players because from a real perspective, um, i.e. inflation proof, there's a query about whether, you know, £100,000 now is obviously worth a lot less money in five years time, um, in truth. So, you know, whether there's um, uh, quite an interesting tactic involved from that perspective. Now, in my view, there's always a query about um, whether if a player has a good 18 months uh, and depending on how those contracts are structured and incentivized correctly, whether they're still going to come back to the club and say, well, I deserve to be at a higher, you know, a benchmark now because I've obviously had a good time. I've had a good period, and I'm playing really well. And therefore, the contract that is future-proof for all of these things still needs to be renegotiated anyway. In truth, um, but I think the other thing, more generally, from you know Chelsea side or and or the wider market, it's something obviously Man City have done really well, is like they did with Lavia the season before, like they've done with Palmer this season as well, is. And, and what Chelsea have done with Mount and others is, you know, when you're selling homegrown talent um, for large, significant amounts, um, the the upside for your accounts in being able to sell those homegrown talent as pure transfer profit makes a huge difference um, in truth to FFP, sustainability com- and cost control compliance. So I think one of the big things in the market that we've seen is it's not stopping even the biggest clubs in order to be able to spend big as well, but selling some of their 
what some would say is crown jewel um, uh, young players who might not be able to get into the team or is not quite, not quite or on the periphery um, in order to be able to generate huge amounts of transfer profit, which goes to the club's bottom line for compliance with the cost control provisions. There's... Cash flow is vitally important for any business, and, and, and football is no different. Um, how is it? How important is it how these deals are structured? Because I imagine when Chelsea have engaged in so much transfer activity um, over the summer and, and also last summer, there, there comes a point where all these things have to be paid for, the instalments, you know, start start to, to mount up. I mean, there is an and a lot of this, I suppose, is, is Chelsea's idea of being predicated on them returning to the Champions League in time. And gaining access to those revenues to, to, to kind of raise up their their, their overall revenue and, and be able to, to to meet their obligations. But I mean, there must be a significant risk factor involved in, in engaging so many new deals on, on high transfer fees because at the end of the day, they all, all have to be paid at some some stage. Yeah, but I, and that's one of the things you know we've talked about before um, is um, a lot of the negotiations that you know sometimes don't get reported or um, talked about in lots of detail is you know everyone talks about the overall global number of a transfer fee and obviously the wages but a lot of it comes down to what is guaranteed uh, a lot of it comes down to what is contingent i.e dependent on certain outcomes if a team's qualifying for the champions league or winning the premier league or avoiding relegation or winning the champions league or europa league for example um and then you know the other big lever is you know in what in what tranches um, are tranches transfer money going to be paid? Sometimes you know clubs will take a lesser global amount in order to get more upfront. Um, and in the same way, it might well be that clubs are willing to pay more money for players if it's willing to be spread out over a longer period of time. And you know everyone says, well, 100 million pounds is 100 million pounds. Well, it's not usually the case because. You know, is it 100 million pounds transfer fee, but 50 percent of it, 50 million, is actually guaranteed, and the other 50 is contingent. So actually, if the club does badly, all they're paying is 50. But then the other amount, which is probably the most significant, is, um, you know, when are those amounts going to be paid? So, you know, if it's 100 million, but 50 million is only guaranteed, um, then you know it might actually be. 10 million a year over five years, or it might be 25 million in the first year, and then a certain amount drip fed over the length of the player's employment contract or over a shorter period of time. So I think sometimes a lot of people are surprised by what might seem like a very high global number that's reported, and maybe clubs in different ways want to report that for different reasons. We've spent X amount of million over in terms of liabilities over the window. But actually, in uh, what the te particular teams are paying out and what particular teams are receiving, might actually be a lot smaller than um, than that in particular window uh, window periods. You've been listening to the bottom line from the Liverpool Echoes Blood Red Channel. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just to kind of circle back briefly, just related to that, with, with Mohamed Salah, I mean, that, the uh, reported £150 million bid that the club rejected after what was believed to be a very 
short phone call between um, Mike Gordon and and, and the uh, Al Ittihad representative. Um, I suppose that I, I've kind of spoken and written about this in, in recent weeks. I suppose that was easier than maybe uh, it may first seem to turn down that kind of money, given the fact that it was believed to be £100 million in, um, guaranteed and then £50 million add-ons. Those are reported figures. Um, not saying the hard and fast rule on those, but I suppose for Liverpool, the, the the you have to weigh up a number of factors in terms of how you know does Mohamed Salah being with us this season help us reach the Champions League, which is an additional even if they win the Europe Europa League this year, I think the, the differential was probably going to be fifty sixty million if they did well in the Champions League next year. So all of a sudden these um, sums become um, become a bit more nuanced and 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 you have to drive down into the detail a bit and and that number doesn't seem as great as maybe what it did at the start. And, and it's not just a simple case of turning down 150 million. You, in reality, as a business, it's, um, there's a lot more that goes into the thought process than just that. Agreed. And it might even be, you know, again, to that point, 100 million guaranteed, but it might be only 15 million down payment and then, you know, 85 over a particular period of time as well, which is also, you know, you know who knows. Um, but I would have thought that if, for example, um, it was a 200 million pound bid and all 200 million was going to be payable within 30 days of the transfer it would have been a very different conversation in truth it's just that doesn't yeah. usually happen and that's the anomaly uh the outlier position um but obviously liverpool weren't interested at this time query whether as you've reported as well that might change in the january window or next summer where you know salah's a year out of contract obviously and perhaps isn't as valuable um but i would have thought liverpool Obviously, need them firing on all cylinders. Exactly to your point, to as a minimum get them back in the Champions League, and um, certainly in the next cycle, uh, Champions League cycle, which is going to be a lot more lucrative, where there's going to be more games, where there's going to be more variety of games in the Swiss model um, approach and league. That um, it's going to take a bit of working out for everybody. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a case of um, expect the unexpected largely moving forward in the transfer market. That's always been the case, but it seems even more more profound now. Um, just to, to finish, uh, Dan, now Dundale is a book which, um, when I arrived in, into kind of reporting on the business of football, was uh, a real godsend to me in terms of just understanding um, everything that goes on behind uh, behind the scenes of football, how transfer deals are structured, takeover deals, etc., and it was authored by yourself, so I am eternally grateful for that. And I think our, our relationship in terms of us, us starting to, to talk was, was first and foremost because I've read that book, and I was like, "Well, I need to tap into this guy's insight immediately." So, um, but you, I mean, that that's what which I, I continually uh, refer to um, on on an almost weekly basis um, for, for your insights. But you are uh, you've been back behind the desk um, once more. Uh, this time, it's building the invisible. Explain a little bit to. Uh, to, to myself and, and the listeners what, what that's about. A slight change of tact from Dundee. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, uh, the truth is, is that um, like your your job and, and mine, um, you know, we're, we're doing something we love in the industry that we've obviously always been really interested in wanting to get involved in. And mine, I'm not sure if yours would be great to hear your story as well. There's been a long-term aim of wanting to work in the sports and football industry as a lawyer. And so over the years, I've got loads of um, questions and emails and Twitter DMs and the rest just being like, well, how did you, you know, how did you get from being 
uh, a regulations lawyer at a big you know city law firm into getting involved in doing loads of great football transfers for example and I always felt that I was just giving rubbish answers in truth like you, you know giving three or four sentences saying oh do this and work hard whereas actually sort of COVID came along and you obviously everyone has a little bit more time on their hands because uh, you know at home um, and I thought what I would try and do is give a bit of reflection time and try and write out some of the things that have worked well for me over my career of 17, 18 years of being a lawyer and how I tried to make that transition from law uh, into random sectors. I was working in like telco and aviation and car parts and um, agriculture into sports and football. And so what I did is I interviewed loads of people across sports and media and entertainment industries and just asked them about uh, their journeys and how they got to where they got to. And I mixed that with some of my experiences um, around how I sort of built knowledge in the football industry, how I chatted to loads of people, how I built my network, how I tried to just find some routines, um, how I dealt with all of the setbacks that happened where I thought I was going to be doing loads of interesting work. It never came along. Um, and then how I just sort of built this sort of long term structure to sort of get new to where I wanted to get to. And so, yeah, without doing too much product placement, that's the... Uh, the book build invisible <laughs> sorry about that as, but, as um, if by magic it appears yeah, it just, just appears but really it's just the, the aim was to try and make a practical guide to give people some like just um insights into how i've gone about doing things and how they in the medium to long term can go about doing those same things and thinking about the industries they want to work in and then how you go about doing it in reality i mean it's interesting you mentioned that the point about covid because when, when i first came into this role it was um largely as a result of COVID and, and, and change of circumstance. Um, but I find since then, um, I mean, sports journalism is something which I always wanted to get into. I came into it quite late, um, but I could probably could have done with some um, sage words of advice a little earlier in my uh, my career, maybe. Um, but it, it's interesting. I found that the sports business element of it, particularly since since COVID has really blown up. So this is, you know, to be a fascin fascinating insight into kind of um, that uh, that industry from yourself and uh, and someone who's kind of you know worked their way through the whole system there so no a uh, fascinating read i'm sure and i uh, yeah I'll, I'll look forward to try and get some more pearls of wisdom done deals already worked a treat for me so hopefully building the invisible will, will do so as well no thanks dave and look it might, if it's of any value maybe i'll uh, send some copies to the office and you can do a little uh, competition and uh, a few of the listeners can um yeah, get a few of those books and hopefully not be too disparaging on Amazon about me if I can help it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be absolutely perfect. That'd be perfect, Dan. And we'll try and uh, we'll try and drop a link into that into the uh, into the description of this podcast. So, um, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, pleasure as always. Uh, your your expertise and insight is, is always uh, gratefully received. Um, so thank you very much. And uh, yeah, be sure to join us next time on the Bottom Line Podcast. Got some more great guests lined up uh, for the next few weeks. So we hope that you will uh, continue watching and continue enjoying the content on the rest of the Liverpool Echoes Blood Red channel. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Bottom Line from the Liverpool Echoes Blood Red channel. 